Dear Lord, just make me a nail upon the wall, fastened securely in its place. Then from this thing so common and so small, hang a bright picture of thy face, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, our opening text of Scripture is found in John 5.30. Jesus speaking. Jesus, who came all the way from Gloryland as the God-man, made this statement. I can of mine own self do nothing. This is the secret of soul winning. And then with that, that marvelous statement by the Apostle Paul found in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can of my own self do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ. This is the secret. So many, many people have come to me through the years and they've said, I am not prepared to win souls. I have no talent. I, I don't seem to be able to get it all together and help men and women to find the right way. Uh, I'm depending on people who have the talent, but I don't have the talent. Friends, let me share with you what God can do with the individual who comes to that place in his experience where he says, I can't do it. Then he reaches up and takes hold of the power of Jesus Christ and says, I can do all things through Christ. I'm going to unite my weakness to his strength, my ignorance to his wisdom. You see, that's the secret. Just a little while ago, they were interviewing us on, on the radio. And as we concluded our half-hour interview, the, uh, the announcer was saying, what special message would you give to your hearers? I said, for them to say, look, I'm stopped going to try to do it by myself. I will relax, and then I'll reach up and take hold of the power of the Lord. That's the secret. He said, thank you, that sounds good. And my friends, it not merely sounds good, it is good. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the foundation of all missionary endeavor. Several years ago, my wife and I were at a gas station. My car was up on the, the grease rack, and while they were working on it, a man walked up to me, and I thought he was the manager of the station. And he said, how are you today? I said, I'm happy. And then I thought to myself, I acted so happy that I'm afraid maybe he thinks I'm touched a little bit. So I said, shouldn't a man be happy who has found Jesus Christ as his personal Savior? And that seemed to satisfy him. And he, and he looked me in the face with a, with a countenance full of reverence. And when I said, who has a Savior like this? He said, I take him with me everywhere I go. I said, tell me about it. And this is the story he related. And friends, it thrilled me from first to last. He said, five years ago, I was a confirmed drunkard. I was the manager of one of the big linen companies of America. But he said, they were trying every way to salvage me. They would move me from one place to another so that the people wouldn't catch up with me and realize uh, that I was no contribution, really, to my company because I was an alcoholic. I was a drunkard. He said, and after they had tried again and again through many years, they finally gave up on me, and they dismissed me. He said, when I was dismissed from that important position, a death of a relative would not have meant more to me. I was completely discouraged. I was stricken. He said, I was wounded. It seemed there was no hope. He said, they said, well, uh, you, can, you can become a salesman. So they took me on as they would take on a green salesman without any experience whatsoever. Talk about being humiliating. He said, my wife and I sat down and we talked it over. We said, you know, 
we have never once given God a thought in our lives. He has been no part of our existence, of our family life. Why don't we try the Lord? He said the next Sunday, we found ourselves sitting in a Baptist church. And he said after we were there, about, attended about three weeks, we decided why don't we give our lives to Jesus. So we made a commitment to the Lord. He said after that, I didn't, uh, I didn't get drunk, but I still drank plenty of cocktails, I smoked, I danced, I did almost everything else that the world does. And he said in that situation, that condition of mind, we continued going to church for about three years. He said, then one Sunday morning, our minister got up and spoke on the subject of the paralytic who was brought to Christ on a cot, born of four men. And the preacher said, since there were four men and there are four corners to a cot, evidently each man must have taken the corner of a cot. And then the preacher developed the thought and he said, look, probably none of these men could have healed that, that poor cripple. But there's one thing they could do. Each could take the corner of a cot and bring him to Jesus. And he said, as a minister made the appeal to the congregation, you may not be able to preach or sing or pray publicly, but can't you carry a corner of a cot and bring somebody to the meetings where we'll, give, we'll present to him the beauties of Jesus? And he said, I was so impressed, and my wife was so impressed, that right after the meeting was over, we walked up and shook hands with the minister. We said, Preacher, we're going to make a deal with you if you'll agree to our conditions. He said, I can't preach, I can't teach, I cannot pray publicly, and I cannot sing. If you'll never ask me to do any of those four things, I'm willing to take the corn of a cot, and I'll bring people to church. But preacher, if you ever ask me to do any one of those four things, I'm through with the church completely. The preacher looked into our faces with a look of sweet, wholesome assurance. And he said, all right, I make that agreement. I'll never ask you to preach. I'll never ask you to pray publicly. I'll never ask you to teach publicly. And I'll never ask you to sing. He said, all right. Subject to those conditions, I'm going to start inviting people to church. He said, I decided I'd get a ball and I'd have a young man whom I knew go out and invite people who had no church relationship and, and no transportation to, to come to church if we'd pick them up. He'd put their names on this ball and give it to me. He said, I went down to the hardware store and I told the salesman about it and the, and the salesman said, okay, I'll give you another one. So he said, I had... I gave one to one young man, another young man. They put the names of individuals who had come to church, and he said, I brought two the next Sunday. The following Sunday, there were more than I could bring. In a few Sundays, there was more than I could bring in a friend of mine. And then we conceived the thought, why don't we get a bus? Presented at the church, we worked on a regular route, inviting people to come. He said, before we almost, almost before we knew it, we had a bus full of people. And then we took another route. And he said, as I was inviting people to come and filling up one bus after another, and he said, we finally filled up 10 buses, I found myself relating to the people whom I was inviting to come to Sunday school and church. I was relating to them my own experience in finding Christ. Here I was doing the very thing that I told the pastor never to ask me to do. <clears throat> he said, <laughs> and then they invited me to give my experience to the, to the inmates of a prison. And he said, as I went down and I told them my experience in finding Christ, 
I realized I was giving my first sermon. With that, he said, I began to preach. And I was still carrying on my work as a salesman for the, for the company. He said, I bought myself a little movie projector, a screen. I'd put it right up in a motel court. Invite the people there to come and, and, and watch this special message. But before the message was given on the screen or after, I would tell them the story of how I found Jesus. He said, I found myself becoming a revivalist. Here I was preaching, and men were coming and giving their hearts to Jesus Christ. I said, uh, that happened about two years ago. You started this special work? Yes, he said, and I I'd like to add this. Two years ago, when I decided that I would carry the corn of the cot, I said, how in the world can I win people to Christ if I'm still smoking, drinking cocktails, going to dance parties, and so on? So he said, my wife and I surrendered everything to Jesus that was questionable. And we felt the presence of the Lord as he went with us. That's why I was saying to you, I take him with me everywhere I go. I said, brother, about how many can you say that the Lord has used you as an instrument in his hands during the two years to win to Christ? And friends, I can't describe to you the sweet, reverent, wholesome, humble expression on that man's face as he said, 2,000. From drunkard to revivalist. How? By recognizing that he had nothing in himself and then reaching out beyond himself uniting his weakness to the strength of our Lord, his ignorance to the wisdom of our Lord, you see? His heart to the heart of our Lord. And he united his will with God's will, and man's will becomes omnipotent. I can do all things through Christ. Friends, have you said to yourself, I just can't do it. Others can, I can't. Don't forget how the drunkard became a revivalist. And what God has done for others, he'll do for all, any of us. We're told in Philippians 2.13, it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is God that gives us even the will to do. I'm thinking of Willie Brinegar. Willie Brinegar was a stammerer. He was one of the worst, world's worst stammerers. One day he looked into a church paper and found an announcement. They were inviting everyone who would like to become a a literature evangelist to meet at a special convention that would be held at a certain place and time. And they, and they made this promise. Anyone who will come and go through the series of studies and instructional classes and will learn his canvas, we will pay his way to and from the convention, his stay while he's here, and we will promise him that he can go out and represent the church. Willie went. He learned his canvas well. But as he would give it, nobody knew what he was saying. They could just now and then catch a word or two or a phrase. Now, the leaders met together and they said, what in the world are we going to do? Willie will bring reproach on the cause of the Lord if he goes out with gospel-filled books. People don't even know what he's saying. What in the world are we going to do? We just cannot permit Willie Brinegar to go out and do that. And then a pastor, Dickerson, who was one of the main teachers, he said, Brethren, we made a promise on certain conditions. Willie has fulfilled every one of those conditions. Can we deprive him? They said, okay, but <laughs> we're going to be embarrassed. So Willie started out, but something else entered the picture. Willie began to send in reports of fabulous success. 
the brethren got their heads together at the headquarters and they said, it's one thing for a boy to stammer. It's another thing for him to falsify his reports. Willie Brinegar could never have sold that many books. It's out of the question. Well, how are we going to handle it? They said, well, we mustn't accuse him. Let's do this. Let's one of us go down and work with him a day or two and say, Willie, you're doing such a wonderful work. We'd like to see the secret of su your success. So we've decided that we'll go with you a day or two. <clears throat> Willie said, fine. So as they went, it was out in a country road they started. The brother that was with him said, now, Willie, you'll take the first house and I'll take the next. They were near a tree there by, by the side of that country road and Willie stammered out something and started toward that tree and, his, and the leader walked with him. Willie fell down on two knees with the, with the tears trickling down his cheeks. He said something only known to God. The leader could only capture a few snatches here and there. But he was praying that God's Holy Spirit would go ahead of him and would make up for his deficiencies. They rose from their knees, they went to the first house, knocked at the door. <clears throat> Willie was admitted with his friend. He showed the lady the book, turned it so she could see the pictures, stammered through his canvas. Nobody knew what he was saying. Then he pulled out his order blank, handed it to her so she could see the price of the different bindings. There was the order blank, handed her a pencil, she signed her name. The leader said, the next play, uh, house I'll take. Then the following house, now, now Willie, it's your turn again. There was another tree. Willie motioned to his friend. They came and they knelt down under that tree and Willie stammered out his prayer to the one in whom I can do all things, though I can do nothing of myself. Came to the next house, Willie knocked at the door, went through the same procedure he did before, the lady signed her name. The leader went back to the, the brethren. He said, brethren, I've learned the secret of Willie's success. What is the secret? Of myself I can do nothing. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Young Dickerson, who had later become a minister, told me this experience. And he said, he went to one of those old-fashioned camp meetings. And there he he asked a young man who was preparing for baptism, what caused you to desire to be baptized? He said, I bought a book from Willie Brinegar. Oh, what impressed you to buy the book? He said, all I can say is that as Willie Brinegar was, was presenting his canvas and the book, I felt mightily impressed that I must have that book, and it led me to Jesus. Friends, Jesus himself tabernacling human flesh made clear that you and I of ourselves can do nothing. And the sooner we recognize it, the better. Then we reach up to that power of heaven and earth. We say, I can do all things through Christ. He strengthens. That's the Christ of God. Now, in Hebrews 11, it says that men of the olden days, out of weakness, they became strong. Not in spite of weaknesses, not leaving their weaknesses behind, but blending their weakness with God's strength, their ignorance with God's wisdom, their unworthiness to his righteousness. 
man unites his, his nothingness to God's almightiness. That's the secret. Let me share with you another experience that's blessed my heart for many years. For years, my wife and I labored down in the West Indies and South America. And here's one of the experiences that happened in one of those islands. There was a very devout group of people in a small church who wanted to see their church grow. <laughs> Can you blame them? Shouldn't a Christian want to share Jesus and see others find the wonderful love of Jesus that he has? But it seemed that every effort they'd put forth was unavailing. So they sent a message to the headquarters. They said, look, we need an evangelistic series of meetings held in our locality, but caution. It'll do you no good to send anybody here but the best evangelist you know. He must be a, he must be a specialist. He must be expert. The people are so hard in this area. So don't send us any ordinary preacher. And while the conference headquarters was thinking and studying and praying whom they should send, in the same church there was a very precious child of God. He was illiterate. He could neither read nor write, boys and girls. That's what illiteracy means. But something came into his heart. He realized he was nothing, but he realized something of the mighty power of God. And he went to the church elder and took his Bible to him, and he said, Brother, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to take my Bible and underscore all through the Bible, all the text, let's say, under the second coming of Christ in one color. All the text may be under salvation, the new birth under another, and so on. All the various doctrines of the Bible that we share in common in different uh, colors. Well, friends, that would take the elder of the church two weeks. He tried his best to put this poor illiterate man off, but to no avail. Finally, he decided, well, that's the only way I can get rid of the man. I better do it. So he did. In the meantime, this illiterate brother had contacted somebody else in the church, gotten hold of the evangelistic songbook, and he'd gotten, he had really cornered another brother, and he said, look, I want you to teach me the words, first the title and the, and the numbers of songs in this book. And number one, more about Jesus. And I want to learn this song. He learned song after song after song in this evangelistic songbook. Then he took this Bible, all marked up under one arm, a batch of books under the other arm, went down in the center of the city, stationed himself on the corner of a street, and he began to sing. The same Holy Spirit that showed him that he could of himself do nothing, but showed him that he could do all things through Christ, was going to prove it. As he was singing there with his heart full of the love of God, groups began to gather. We'll sing number one, more about Jesus. <laughs> Passed out the songbooks. Couldn't read a word. But they sang. Now we'll sing him number so-and-so. Jesus, the light of the world. And he sang and he led them. And then at the appropriate moment, he turned the man next to him and he said, Look, brother, stranger, perfect stranger, for no church members would go with him. They didn't want to be embarrassed. He turns to this stranger. Look, friend, do me a favor. Open the Bible at the beginning of Genesis and read everything, let's say, underscored in green. And as you read the first text, I'll then explain it while you're finding the next. So the stranger read the first text. 
And the illiterate man, full of the love and the power of Jesus, explained it. Now you'll read the next text. His stranger friend read the next text. So he did until he went through a whole Bible study. He said, now I'll be back here at such and such an hour tomorrow. The crowds gathered again. He went through the same procedure day after day, day after day. While the church was looking for the specialist, while the leaders of the church at the headquarters were looking for this, this very outstanding person, God used this illiterate saint of God to double the membership of the church. Of my own self, I can do nothing. I see now why my favorite author has, has stated in that beautiful book, The Desire of Ages, page 250, the first thing to be learned by all who would be workers together with God is the lesson of self-distrust. Then we can reach up and take hold of the almightiness of God, you see. And you know, as I've thought it over, I remember that's what has happened in my life. When I was six years of age, I remember my mother sweeping my bedroom floor upstairs, a little old farmhouse bedroom. And as she was doing it, she was telling her little six-year-old boy the story of Jesus. From the little stars that twinkled in Bethlehem to that awful death on Calvary, she told it in the simplest words. She laid aside all of the profundity. There were words that a little six-year-old boy could understand. And when mother got into those trials of Jesus and that famous march to Calvary, and the crucifixion of my Lord, it broke my heart. And I said, Mother, what shall I do? And she quoted me the promise. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins, and he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. First John 1, 9. I knelt down with my mother. I confessed my sins. I received forgiveness and cleansing. I was his child at the age of six. But that isn't all. Two or three years later, at the midnight hour, I had a dream. I dreamed that my brother Lester, next older than I, was drowning in the ocean. I dreamed I was standing on the ocean uh, beach, shore, and there I saw my brother with his body cupped in one of these angry waves and other angry waves pouring between him and me. I could still see his countenance as it was pleading with me to help him. Oh, how pitifully he looked. And I was determined I would help him. I must at all costs save my brother he, he would soon perish. And there in my dream, I was thinking, how can I do it? The angry waves that are destroying him mean I have no chance. And while I was dreaming, I awakened, trembling all over my body, perspiring, tears rolling down my cheeks. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me, not in an audible voice, in the thought voice as the Holy Spirit speaks. Son, you have brothers and sisters all over the world. They're perishing in the angry waves of sin. I want you to be my instrument to throw off the lifeline and save them. And friends, I knew that I was more helpless to do that even than to save my brother from the angry waves. In my helplessness and my crying heart, I looked up to God and I said, Oh God, I've never been able to do anything right. Much less, I couldn't even save my brother the idea. How in the world can I do this? And that beautiful voice of the Holy Spirit came back something like this. You can't. You have no talent to do it. 
but you can do it through me. It is God that works in you and will work in you both to will and to do. And you can do all things through Christ. I said, oh, Lord, if you'll show me how, I will certainly do it. Years later, I was in the first grade high school, first year in academy. They'd ask us in the class to present to the class what we plan to do when we finished our education. I told them, I plan to be a minister. Friends, after that class was finished, my buddies gathered about me. They said, Glenn, you have no talent whatsoever. Now, Lester, your brother, he could do it. David, he could do it. Your other brothers, Glenn, please, we don't want to discourage you, Glenn. You can do anything, but that's one thing you can't do. You know, it had no effect on me at all because I had learned that of myself, I was absolutely helpless. And the Lord had said, you can still do it by uniting your weakness to my strength, your ignorance to my wisdom, your unworthiness to my righteousness. And beloved, you can do it too. Shall we pray? Dear Lord in heaven, there are men and women, boys and girls, following this study at this hour who are helpless as I. Oh, Father, as they capture a picture of the magnificent, loving power of Jesus Christ, may they say, Lord, I'll use no excuses for not being a soul winner. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on them. We thank you for hearing us because you promised it in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.